series that we're doing on the Beatitudes. And um, let's see, in my Bible, it's page 1,523 on the pulpit pew, but you don't have my Bible. But anyway, it's Matthew chapter 5. We've been working on this, had a kind of an introductory message, and, um, and then last week um, we, we began to, to break down and go through that, and we're just going to continue to do that today. Just by way of reminder, and you should have um, some paper outlines, uh, you know, I, I didn't think about it, but it might be good, because I'm going to be on this series for a while, it might be good if you, you brought something with a little hardback to it, you know, so you could write a little easier, so um, it, it'd be kind of silly for me to bring big hardback things up. But anyway, we give you the paper, you can do what you want to. But as we, we talked about and introduced the Beatitudes, one of the first things was I shared that um, many years ago as I was praying and kind of studying through the Beatitudes, the Lord just really spoke to me. And one of the things he said to me was that my body, that is the body of Christ, has a heart problem. And what he, what he was saying in that was, is that, that in the body of Christ, that there were, there was many of us, if not a lot of us, if not, you know, almost most of us at times, that there were conditions in our heart that shouldn't be there that affected our walk and our ministry and everything else. And so the Lord just kind of framed for me in, in my own personal study and then as teaching on this, wrapping it around that. You know, we talked about last week defining the Beatitudes as just quite simply a play on words there. You know, our Beatitudes are what our attitudes should be. In other words, that as we go through these kingdom principles that we're looking at, we looked at one, we'll look at another one today. But as we look at these, these are for us like roadmaps or like uh, you know, signs that point the way and show us how we're to live our lives and how we're to, to develop our lives, how we're to, to minister and all that's involved in that. We also said last week, um, by way of review, and then we'll uh, get, get started pretty quick there, that we define the Beatitudes as the ethics, the character, and the lifestyle of the kingdom of God. If you weren't here, I'll say that again. The Beatitudes, we said what our attitudes should be, were basically the ethics, that is, the, the, way, the moral way we live our life, the character, that we have character instead of just, you know, um, have physical character in us and not just our characters, that sort of thing that we have a lifestyle that's reflective and based upon the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of the Lord himself. And so that was kind of our foundation that we talked about in that. And then last Sunday, and we have these available uh, on the back table, and probably in the next week or two, Jason will have it up on the, the podcast there. You can get that from our website as well. We have many of our messages that are up on there now. But we looked at last week, poor in spirit. And we said there that that was... It was blessed of the poor in spirit, and it literally meant the absolute poverty of spirit and continual brokenness and humility, that just all that was involved in that. And then number two is where we're going to be today, and blessed of the poor in spirit in verse number three, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then today, beginning in verse number four, and I think, again, this is just amazing that this fell today, this weekend. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I mean, God's a big God. It just amazes, well, it shouldn't, but I'm still amazed sometimes how things just really fall because I already had prepared this message before all that came up. But today we're going to be looking at verse number four, blessed are those who mourn, for they sh shall be comforted. And, um, and so when we're looking at this is that the first thing that I'd written in my notes, and, and again, I had written these notes up before um, this week, 
But I wrote that blessed are those who mourn. God's blessings follow this state. In other words, the blessings of the Lord, the blessing and the love and the presence of the Lord follows those that are in mourning, those that, that are in hard places, those that we've all lost loved ones or, and, and had difficulties sometimes with that and different stories that we could tell. But in the midst of that, the Lord is telling us that when we mourn, that his blessings are there. His faithfulness is there. His encouragement is there. His comfort is there. And that's kind of what we're going to work through in Scripture, just going through these, these simple message. And then when we finish today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper a little bit differently in the way we'll do that today. Okay, so blessed are the mourn, those who mourn. God's blessings follow this state. It's true with John Paul, and it's true with whoever that you know and that maybe you've lost in that time. It's interesting because in the passage here, there was um, several words that could have been used uh, involved in it, and instead um, they had here the most severe word, the most severe word in the Greek language they could have used. And so when it says, blessed are those who mourn, literally it meant, um, blessed are those who mourn for the dead. It literally was that. It was, in other words, it wasn't just grieving over, oh, I wrecked my car, you know, and I know that could cause tears, or this happened, or that happened, or that happened. That this was, was deep grieving, deep mourning that we, that we see in here um, that he's talking about. You know, not light grieving, but very deep grieving. And we see from here, blessed are those who mourn, the Lord tells us this. Um, turn to Psalm 34, if you want to look at that. Psalm 34. What the Lord is telling us in, in Psalm 34, and this is in verses um, 17 and 18. Just old-fashioned Bible study as we're going through this. And again, showing God's concern with earthly sorrows. Psalm 34 says this, The righteous cry out. And you say, who are the righteous? And you say, well, not me. I'm not righteous. Well, none of us are righteous by our own works, right? And we just could never measure up in that. It's all the grace of God. And how was that paid? It was paid on the cross. It was paid on the shedding of the blood and the breaking of the body. In that. But it says that the righteous cry out, that when we cry out to the Lord, what happens? The Lord hears them. The Lord hears us. And sometimes one of the lies of the enemy, especially in times of, of grief or suffering or mourning or things like that, is that we, we sometimes the enemy will just sneak it in our mind or our thought or our spirit or our body, maybe because of agony or, or tough times. But instead of, of, of understanding that, we we almost come to the place that, that we think that the Lord isn't hearing, that the Lord isn't listening. And sometimes when we come to a place of mourning for whatever reason, whatever has happened, it's like, God, I don't understand. You know, and, 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 I, and some things, you know, I don't understand either. John Paul was maybe five, six years older than me. And you have, don't look at, I mean, he wasn't that old. I think he's like 65, 66, somewhere in there. But, you know, it's like, but God, he was being so productive, and there were so many plans that they still had, and there were other ministries they were developing. And, and let me just tell you one little story. Well, it was interesting because um, John Paul had gone one year ago, had taken a team to India. And in that team that he had taken to India, he had taken some of the, those who had been in streams along this way before I was involved, and as teachers, and they had actually taught and were teaching, and they had hundreds and hundreds of people that they were ministering to. 
And so it came time for the India trip again. That was one of the big things that John Paul had lined up, and I'd even considered asking him if I could go over, but just didn't ever get a piece I was supposed to do that. And John Paul's visa didn't come through. For some reason, they had no idea why, didn't make any sense, but visas were not released so that he, John Paul could come. So he had to stay home. And this is the exact time when he, would, when he, he died. And, uh, but in that time, and I kept getting Facebook pictures, and John Thomas was there, and a lot of other people that were there, and they were all gathered in India, and they had spent the time equipping teachers who then would equip literally hundreds to thousands of people about the art of hearing God and about the Word of God. And again, it would have been really bad if John Paul had been there because he would have died in India in a difficult place. And so God even arranged that. It's just, again, kind of amazing how God does that, that we cry out and the Lord really does hear us. And he does bring deliverance. He does bring encouragement. He does bring help and consolation. But sometimes it comes in ways we don't recognize or we don't understand or it's not what we wanted. You know, we want, well, what we want was, you know, to have a, what we consider a better result instead of realizing that, sure, there's mourning for us and mourning for his wife and his family and all that's involved in that, all the, those that were very close to him. But you see, he's with the Lord now. He's with the highest calling and place there is. And so, um, and that's true with all of us. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them, and he delivers us from our troubles. You know, and so what, what's the key to having the Lord set us free from all those difficult places? And, you know, whether it's finances or it's in our marriage or if it's some other place, just what's the key there? The key there is to understand that we need to cry out to God. That if we're in a place of, of need, we're in a place of difficulty, we're in a place, maybe there's difficulty with children or difficulty in other areas or, you know, that in those times we need to understand God loves us, he cares for us, he understands us, and he wants us to cry out to him. And when we cry out to him, he hears and he responds and he provides for what we need. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them, he delivers them from all their troubles. Now, some of these passages, it's interesting, he delivers them from all their troubles. I think sometimes the Lord defines all their troubles differently than we would. Do you understand what I'm saying? He does set us free. He's dealing with our troubles. But some of the things that we think are troubles, I actually think are something the Lord has put there that help us grow and help us mature and help us maybe answer things we've been crying out to God before in that and we just don't understand. But it says this, the Lord is close to the broken heart. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 19, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken in that. And so, and so we see that from that passage. Just again, some, some very practical teaching that we have about um, mourning and, and brokenhearted and all that's involved in that. Shows us that he's close to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And then 2 Corinthians 7. Why don't you turn there? 2 Corinthians 7. And this one's a little bit different here. This is talking about spiritual mourning. In other words, it's not just a loss of someone, but it's maybe when there's been a confrontation or something's come to teach us in that, and we have to understand that. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. 
And so Paul is speaking in here again, and uh, he's teaching those and, um, that, that he's been writing to and those that he's visited and everything. And let's just start in verse number five. It says, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but harassed on every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, and your ardent concern for me, that my joy was made greater than ever. Then he says, in verse 8, Even though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Do not regret it. That's interesting. He had written a letter to him, and in the letter, Paul was not one that minced words. You know, he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we want to get a word from the Lord, and the kind of word we're going, we want is that all your bills are going to be paid throughout your whole lifetime, or you're going to get this, or this, or that, or all these other things, or God's going to use it for that. And, but a lot of times we understand that God, when he's speaking to us, he may be speaking to us words of correction or words of, that are encouraging in the sense that we're being stretched in this. And so Paul had written a letter, and he says, even if I caused you sorrow by what I wrote, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I, lo- I love that way Paul was writing there. He said, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you're made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. And see, that's one of the, the aspects we need to understand. We're blessed are those who mourn. There are times that, we're, that, that our sorrow is because of the loss of someone. It is because of things like that. But there are other times that, that the sorrow that we have that comes to us in those places isn't because of that, but it's, it's coming to us because the Lord is trying to teach us. He's trying to, to, to bring us to a new place and, and, and walking in him and understanding what he's trying to say. That he's reminding us, as we already read, you know, that he's close to the broken heart. He wants to save the crushed in spirit. But he also wants to teach us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to understand all about what godly sorrow is. And so, verses 8 through 10, I'll just start in verse 10. Godly sorrow brings what? Depending on your translation. If we have godly sorrow, depending on your translation, what mine says is godly sorrow brings repentance. Now, what is repentance? I mean, it's simple ways. It's like, yeah, turning around. You know, sometimes we need to repent because we're going entirely the wrong way. And a lot of times the repentance or change isn't going, you know, this huge thing. It's maybe just a little bit in that. But again, as I said, when my dad was a surveyor and we used to to go out and work in the woods and we'd have to do a a line that may be a mile long, he'd said, we can't be off a degree because just a degree off could be 20 feet you know, that, that we're pushing in the wrong place, which is good for the person that gets it that shouldn't, but bad for the one that loses it, right? So it's got to be right. It's got to be right. He's always saying that in that and, and the same thing. So it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance leads to salvation and, and leads, uh, no, leaves no regret, but worth, worldly sorrow brings death. And he goes on, he says, he says, look what worldly sorrow has done. Look what godly sorrow has done. Because you have been earnestly trying to repent and to clear yourselves, you've responded with a reactive indignation and alarm and longing, concern, you know, ready to, to prove yourself at every point to be innocent in the matter. And so he's saying that's a good thing, that even if we're confronted and someone says something that causes us to hurt and maybe what they said was too strong or wasn't completely right, even in that, God can use it to comfort us. Even in that, God can encourage us. 
Even in that, we can understand that part of this beatitude, part of those that blessed are mourned, blessing are those who mourn, you know, that God wants to do that, that he wants to encourage that, he wants to bring that about in our lives. You know, just summing that section up of 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10, we see that, that spiritual mourning helps produce repentance. It helps us to turn. It helps us to turn around. It helps us to think like God thinks. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, you have to turn there. But that's the description of when the Lord gave the fivefold ministry and, and literally uh, brought about people in different areas. It's teacher, prophet, apostle, all those sorts of things. But he brought those, and the whole purpose of them was to equip the body of Christ in that. And so thinking like God and part of, of repentance for us when we ha- go through mourning, we go through difficult times, is God's aligning us more with the way that he thinks. He's aligning us more with the way that he operates. Because really that's been our prayers. God, we want to know you. We want to walk with you. You know, and if we're really brave and we say, whatever it takes, and I say, whatever it takes gently. No, there's <laughs> some of you know, there, but it's, it's like, God, we do want what you have for us. We, we trust you. We, we love you. You know, you're a good God. But I do remember Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, you know, with Aslan. He's not a tame lion. You know, it's still, he's still, he's still the Lion of Judah. They're remembering that. But, but we see that mourning does pr- produce repentance. It helps us to think like God thinks. Another thing in this is that, that when we go through a time of, of mourning is that it leads, helps us to lead to salvation, you know, for our own lives, that, that when someone else that's walking with the Lord or that you know that all of a sudden they're there and then unexpectedly they're gone, well, that sometimes can be a wake-up call for us. Hey, we don't know that we have X number of days, weeks, months, years, decades. We just don't know. But all we know is that we need to make the most of what we have here. And when, when there is grieving, to use that to focus our heart upon the Lord. And as we come to the end of this, this message and see the, the other side of that, um, we'll see what that talks about in that. But it, it leads us, repentance leads us to salvation. It re, re, leads us to repentance. It leads us to a sense of our sin. And that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Let's look there. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. It says this, verse 23. Search me, God. And know my heart. It's like, yeah, God, just you may not be aware that if you look deep on me, there's some things you probably want to deal with, right? You know, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, that makes me blush just think about praying that prayer, you know. Look and see if there's anything in my heart that shouldn't be there. If there's anything that, that's hardened are judgmental, are angry, or bitter, or all those things. You know, just check it out, Lord. Give me a checkup. I mean, we, we do that. We have scheduled doctor's checkups and different things like that. So we have those from time to time. But this is like, Lord, you're the great physician. Check my heart out. Check my life out. Check out what's happening there. See if there's any offensive way. And then, after showing me that, 
Show me or lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the way that will take me down the road. Because that should be our heart's desire. That should be our heart's desire. I mean, coming to church and worshiping the Lord and following the Lord, it's not just about, you know, hearing the word and worship and all of that. And it's all good and it's all great, obviously. But this is, this is a part of our life. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what God's trying to do in us and through us so that we can be vessels for his presence to be used wherever we are in both the planned times and the unplanned times, that we see the Lord that he does that. And so in Psalm 139, 24, I wrote some notes here, and I wrote down, first of all, that when we ask the Lord to search our hearts, I said this is when God shows us what we're really like. So in other words, when we cry out to God and say, Lord, just search my heart, test me, my anxious thoughts, and just, just lay it on me. Let me see what's there. Well, again, that's when I say one thing at a time, <laughs> gently, gracefully, you know. You don't have to look too, you don't have to turn the flashlight on too brightly at that. Yeah, but show us what we're like. Show us the, I wrote this down, show us the old cobwebs. Old cobwebs. Kathy and I used to have a joke. We did, we see that it was a, was it a, some kind of a card or whatever. There was something one time we read, and it was about a card or some kind of thing that wrote on there. It had, had a spider, and the card said something like, don't worry, you're okay here. <laughs> you know, it's like, you can, you can hide up on the walls here. We're not having, don't clean the walls a lot. We kind of joked about that. But what the Lord is doing when he asks him to deal with our interiors, he deals with the exterior as well. And so he, he shows us the old cobwebs, and the purpose of that is so we can clean out the old cobwebs. And I don't know about you, but I don't want, you know, spiders or anything else crawling around the bed or anywhere. You know, I just, uh, God bless them and everything else. And uh, we can, if, if, if you're offended by that, I, I won't say I'll kill them. I'll just put them in a bucket and bring them to you if you want them there. You know, if, if you're an arachnophobe, what is the word there? Arachnophobe or arachnophobia, all those things there. I was trying to think of the word of someone that loves spiders, but anyway. Okay, plus spiders, that's great. We'll pray for you. Okay, so old cobwebs, um, the closed and locked closets, you know, that things that, that in the natural, you know, that if someone's coming over and we have to clean up and we don't have a lot of time, so what we do is we, we make stuff fit, right? Here, quick, close this, close that, run the vacuum, do a few things. We do that. Why do we do that? Because it's not happening all the time. And so we have something unexpected, so we try to make that happen. And so you know, we, we do that sometimes, is that we ask the Lord to search our hearts and we see these things. Well, that's when we have to deal with the cobwebs. That's when we have to deal with the closed and locked doors and closets that maybe things have been there hiding that almost we've forgotten about it. You know, I'm talking about spiritual things here in that. And then I remember Psalm 51. And you know this one, and we'll just, so we'll just hit a little bit of it because we've taught on this before. But in Psalm 51, we have the story of, of King David. And King David was considered a man what? After God's own heart. Does that mean he never got into sin or trouble? No. Murder and adulteries are kind of on everybody's list of bad ways to live, right? Here was a man after God's own heart. And yet even though being a man after God's own heart... He allowed his eyes, and the eyes are the window of the soul, okay? He allowed his eyes to, in idle time, when he should have been doing other things, he his, and people will blame the woman, but it's not that, it was him. He let idle eyes 
go and look. And when he looked, he, he went further than just, oh, no, and turn. But he, he let that kind of come into the eyes and come into the spirit, come into his soul. And from that, we know this what took place. Where he went to Bathsheba, who incidentally was the wife of one of his tremendous leaders, one of his mighty men that helped put him in the kingdom and protected him and with their lives, kept him alive. He went to that woman, had relations with her, they had a child, and she tried to cover it up, and he eventually killed her husband to try to cover it up. It's just, that's hard. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about one of the greatest guys in the Old Testament and, and, and following after God, and, and just incredible. But the Lord confronted him because he, he went through it. He thought he'd gotten away with it. But the Lord went to him and confronted him. And we see this in Psalm 51. It says, the Psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came after David had committed adultery of Bathsheba. And then what you just see there, and we don't read it all, but all of a sudden David, because he is a man after God's own heart, realized that his heart is defiled, that his body is defiled, and that he's in a horrible thing, and there's consequences. And so he starts crying out to God for mercy, you know, according to his love and for his compassion. He asks for the Lord to blot out his transgressions, to bring forgiveness, to wash away his iniquity, to cleanse him from sin. But he confesses. He said, I was, basically, I'll paraphrase this, I was wrong. I was, I was terribly wrong. I'm so sorry, you know, and, and he says, I've sinned against you. And he actually was beyond the Lord. He sinned against the whole nation. He sinned against them all. And, and certainly Ryan, the family, and everything else in that. And he just goes out and he cries out and he says, I've sinned against you. I've done what's evil. And you're justified when you judge. He says, I was born sinful at, sinful at birth, that even at birth, you know, that I, that I learned how to how to be sinful. And sometimes I think about that and think, how is a baby sinful? And then it's like, they're just like us. They learn that if they want something, then in a matter of time, they learn the mechanism in order to get what they want. And they can't talk or anything, but they can cry and they can scream and it can be late at night or something else in that. And they get the message across, right? In that. And, so, and we're just like babies, right? We're, we're kids as well. But he goes on, he asks the Lord to wash him and to clean him and, and, and to bring joy back again and to deal with the iniquity, to give him a pure heart, to not take away the Holy Spirit's presence from him, to restore the joy of salvation. And you can read that all for yourself. But again, it just shows us, you know, that, um, again, this, this, this psalm and what we're looking here and blessed are those who mourn is a reminder where God searches our heart, and we ask him, and we give him permission, Lord, would you just search my heart? Would you see if there's any wicked way? You know, would you just help me to deal with those and, and be gentle in, in that, deal with those cobwebs, as we said, and deal with maybe the, the really dark places like David had in that. And then I just wanted to remind us today as we're looking at this of Luke chapter 15. Now, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Um, because this is something I've done message on many times. It's something John Thomas was here one time and did a powerful message on, on this and um, about the prodigal son, the prodigal father, and everything there. And um, so, and I'm sure those are available in our tape archive somewhere. So we don't need to do that. But I just wanted to reference this in relation to um, blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. Because the prodigal son was one that. 
um, was a part of a family, and he came to the place of where he, he literally broke all of culture, all of the, of the religious, uh, legalistic uh, understanding of what he should and shouldn't do. He just went to his dad and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And the amazing thing was is the dad loved him, and the dad, I think his dad was, and this is a, just kind of a uh, representation of Father God. And the father loved him so much that he allowed him to go even though he knew that there would be consequences and it would be painful and even painful in his household. He was willing to do that because in doing that, he knew that ultimately there could be healing and restoration in that. And that's what we saw in, in the, the whole issue of, of, the, of the prodigal son. You know, he had to get to the place and, you know, of where he got the money and he went and he spent all the money on prostitutes or riotous living and other things. And finally, the only thing he could eat was the, some of the husk from the pigs he was feeding. And then he said, it came to his senses and he said, if I go back to my father and I tell him I'm really sorry and, and I don't want to be a son, just let me be a slave, let me be a worker there, it's better off to be that. I mean, he was really broken and that's what the Lord was trying to bring him in that. And, um, and, and so... That reminds us that, that in the times of difficulties that we go so far down that we have to look up and we have to go through, we have the times that we go through discipline and correction that we see in the prodigal son. In um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 12, um, we see the same thing. We see dealing with the discipline that God has for us. Let me just read you four things I wrote down from that. God disciplines us out of his great love. The first thing we need to understand is that when we have discipline that comes our way, that it's coming out of his love and not out of his anger and not out of his vindictiveness. Now, I will say, I'll confess my sin, you know, and then I'll just even reference my dad. There are times that I know that in dealing with with children and others that, that I have reacted, not responded, but reacted out of anger or bitterness or frustration or or whatever else, and said or done things in ways that I shouldn't have done. And I know that was true of my parents as well. I knew that if I got my mother really angry during the, I'm confessing my sins, if I got her really angry during the daytime when my, when my dad was out working in the, you know, as a surveyor when I was younger, and I did things and got her upset, and she said, wait till your dad gets home, I knew that was big trouble. I knew pain was coming. And here dad would be out working all day in the woods with the snakes and the bugs and, and hot and everything else and comes in, the door opens and mom tells him, you got to deal with him. And I'm like, oh no, it's going to be five times worse. You know, and so dad believed in not sparing the rod or whatever else was within reach. And uh, I always got the message, right? <laughs> Eventually I learned that, that I needed to behave better in that. And again, I'm not advocating any kind of form of discipline or anything else. I'm just telling you my story of that. You know, but, but I learned from that. I learned from that. Dad was, Dad disciplined me out of anger and frustration. He was hot and exhausted and all. But, I mean, I very much needed to be disciplined. I needed to have that happen. And so God, when God brings discipline, it's out of love for us. He disciplines, disciplines us as his sons and his daughters. He doesn't do it because he's angry. It's not like... We do something, God goes, all right, angel, get down there and whap him upside the head. Now, that's not, that's not the heart of God. You know, he loves us. He's broken for us. I mean, Jesus did, remember the scripture, the longest, the shortest verse 
that you could, everybody can memorize? Jesus wept. He, when he saw someone that he loved that had, had died, he wept. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God that we see there. That God, so sometimes God brings discipline to us that causes us to sorrow, but in the midst of that, it's God demonstrating his love. He disciplines out of his great love to show us that we're his sons, his daughters, and he does it for our own good so that we can learn to share in his holiness. And then the final thing in that little sub-point is that he brings discipline to us because he wants to produce a heart of righteousness and peace in our hearts and lives. And then finally, the last part of this, and this was in the uh, straight from the um, Beatitudes here, we said, blessed are those who mourn, and the second part of that is for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I don't believe that, that God brings pain and suffering and everything just to teach us as much. It's, a lot of times it is part of, part of life and what goes on in that. But I do know that in the midst of all of this, that God allows it. And in that, that when we're mourning, that he's there to let us know he's with us, that he loves us, that he cares for us. And, um, and Jesus often taught the disciples about, about his father and about what it was going to be like being there and that the father watched over and everything that was involved in that. You know, it's interesting because in John 16, 33, and to John 17, it talks about that Jesus said that he overcame the world and that he prayed for us. And, you know, sometimes we'll say, hey, could you, could you be in prayer for me? I'm in a rough place or difficult or this or that. But to think when Jesus says, I got you covered, I'm praying for you. Wow. And in our times of sorrow, in our times of difficulty, in our times of mourning, God brings his comfort. God brings his encouragement to us. One last passage, and we're through. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's interesting as you're turning there, a little history on this passage. A number of years ago, well, a good number of years ago, there was a, uh, had to help in doing a funeral um, up in uh, Arkansas of a dear woman that had been a part of our church. And uh, we went there, and this was a ministry. I forget the name of it. Um, it's kind of a cowboy-type guy that had a ministry, and they brought men, different kind of men's thing in. Bob, I don't know if you remember that. It was at the Hoyts, you know, and everything there. So anyway, I went up there, and, and I hadn't gotten any details. They had just asked, the husband had asked that I could participate in the, in the service. And so um, we got there, and we were upstairs in the room and waiting to go out, and he hadn't said anything. And usually, you know, the protocol is, is they'll say, okay, you can do this part or do this part. And, you know, and then the person that's been uh, set up to do it preaches the sermon. And so we're going. It's getting closer and closer to time, and it finally comes time. He says, okay, well, it's time for us to go downstairs. Let's pray. So I'll gather, there were like five of us there, gathered in a circle, and we prayed. And he says, well, he says, I've always believed that the person that's the furthest away should preach the message, so you've got it. I mean, I said, right now? <laughs> so then he took off walking, all walking downstairs. And I remember as I'm walking downstairs, I'm walking up the aisle to get up to where I'm going to sit. I leaned over to Kathy and said, I'm preaching the sermon. And I, I didn't say, and I've had 27 seconds to think about it <laughs> you know, in that process. But, you know, as I was walking up there, I, I inwardly cried out that famous word of John Wimber, help, help, help. You know, it's like I'm desperate here. I'm thinking, 
I, I can only wing it for so long, you know, especially with that. But I, as I, I did that, the Lord spoke to me out after I was walked past Kathy and said, just speak from 2 Corinthians. And I'm thinking, okay, I kind of know what that is. And I just took that and literally the Lord just laid upon me a message that was powerful and it went so well that I had prepared nothing on. It just like he gave it to me. I didn't have any notes or anything. And, and so I just wanted, I just put that as a backdrop for this, this last part of this message for being comforted. In verse number three, Paul's writing, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I use this passage. And the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Say that with me. Who comforts us in all our troubles. We need to remember that. We need to believe that. And part of the reason he brings comfort to us is this. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, so many times in our walking with God and our walking in the, in the Spirit and everything else, we're so focused on who? Ourselves. We're so focused, oh, God, you know, it's just, this is, we lose a loved one, this is just it's too painful, it hurts too much, it's about why and all the things there, you know, and then we just come back to the simplicity that God's a God of compassion. He cares for us. He's the God of comfort. He cares for us. He comforts us. When we're in trouble, you know, and it says that so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive, that God teaches us what comfort is about and what consolation is about so that we can understand but so that we can help others because that's part of the purpose of these Beatitudes is not just so that we're better but that we can make others better and that we can be in the body of Christ. It says for just, verse 5, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we don't like that part, but also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, Paul speaking of himself, it's because for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And it goes on from there, and you could study that in that. But that just again shows us God is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles that we can comfort others. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have never abandoned us. We thank you, Lord, that even in the times when your word tells us, blessed are those who mourn, that you let us know that, that this side of heaven there will be mourning. This side of heaven there will be difficulties. There will be hard times. There will be situations and areas and times and events that we just don't understand. But God, you are God. You're a loving Father. You sent your only Son for us. You watch out for us. You bring comfort to us. Lord, take us through those times that we need to in mourning. Bring the healing and refreshing and encouragement and understanding as you would do. But, oh, Lord, I pray that as we mourn that you would teach us your ways so that we, too, could help others. We, too, could sow out of mourning. We could sow comfort and encouragement and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.